Hello, welcome to the hot seat. I'm Martin Rogers, here with Professor Kate Jenkins of the LSE. Welcome, Kate. Hi, Martin. Good to see you. We're here to talk about Europe. There's a big row in Britain at the moment, in British politics, about the EU's budget. Why is there an assumption that the budget will rise every year? Why is it written in that, at the very least, it will rise with inflation? Well, I think when you start to dig around in why things happen as they do in Europe, um, it's the classic can of worms. I don't think I've seen quite such a can of worms. Um, I suspect it's written into the budget because it happens to be convenient to have it like that. And undoubtedly, if you're running something like the EU via the European Commission, certainty, particularly of your financial arrangements, must be immensely valuable. I mean, they obviously let huge contracts, spend large sums of money. Annual budgets are very restrictive. And when you look at the EU um, accounts, you see that very large sums of money, billions and billions, are held um, against already committed money that they need for, presumably, bridges, roads, all the other things that they get involved in. How much support will there be in other European countries for an increase or reduction in the budget? It's a big row in Britain. What about the other constituent countries of the EU? Well, I think it will be the familiar situation. You'll find with the uh, countries which are net beneficiaries that they think it's a very good idea, and that certainly seems to me to be the position being adopted by Cyprus and Poland at the moment. And you'll find those who are net contributors who think it's a thoroughly bad idea, putting it in a fairly balanced way. Um, and I suspect that's what the row is going to be about. As we're filming this, there's a prospect of a vote later on today in the Houses of Parliament on the on the budget. What, without being a hostage to fortune. Aside from that, what prospects are there for um, support within this country and um, it actually being following through to a settlement? Well, I mean, it would be nice to have a crystal ball. It would be nice to be Nostradamus. But I think I will be surprised if there's a settlement. I'll be very surprised if there's a settlement on November the 22nd or whatever it is. Um, I think in this country people are increasingly baffled. I mean, there's the familiar pattern of those who are wholly opposed to the European Union and those who are um, almost fanatically in favour. And then there's the vast bulk of all of us in the middle wondering what on earth is going on. And I think we're right to wonder what on earth is going on now because we seem to have a situation where something that worked tolerably well with a few fatuities but worked tolerably well about 20 years ago now appears to be a complete mess. Um, we no longer have officials who are able to come to a sufficient agreement to come to conclusions in, um, in these constantly repeated meetings of ministers. We don't have ministers who can agree because their interests are so very different. Um, I don't think there'll be an agreement on the budget, and as the polls have pointed out, that's simply going to mean that they get their inflation increase. It does seem to me that this ought to be an opportunity and I wish I thought there was a hope of it happening, but I don't, it ought to be an opportunity for saying, right, this has now got to be sorted out. Because the, um, the mess of the internal processes of the European Union, which are completely outstripped by their responsibilities now, um, just means that getting anything done, anything sorted, in what one would regard as a proper and organised way, is virtually impossible. I wanted to 
come on to checks and balances, and you've introduced that quite well. Is, is there an institutional failure of the EU's checks and balances? We see austerity all around Europe, sometimes self-imposed, sometimes impo imposed from the centre, and yet the EU budget is increasing um, by default, if not by agreement at that time. Is there a failure of a checks and balances? Is the EU centrally out of step with the reality of the rest of Europe? Well, I think... I'm not entirely convinced myself that the concept of checks and balances is valid when you're looking at the operations of the EU. Um, because I think the three major constituent parts, the Commission, the Council of Ministers and the Parliament, really have very different agendas uh, and very different agendas within them. And it's very difficult for them to produce a coherent and sensible decision at the end of the day. I mean, at the moment we have a situation where the Parliament is in favour of increased budget, no surprise there. Uh, the Commission clearly wants to have what they had planned to get and just the budget for next year in itself is an increase of five or six billion over last year. Um, and they need it because the plans are in place and they're about to go. So there is a really serious issue there of just managing the process. But then the Council of Ministers is split by those, you know, the haves and the have-nots, pretty well, to put it bluntly. And the, you know, you could argue, you could argue that the rush to um, enlargement for which the institutions weren't ready is, is part of the problem. Um, you could argue that the Eurozone overlay on top of what was already a not very well-organised institution is clearly a major problem. Um, I don't see any solution in the near future, I'm afraid. I wish I did. Do you think, the, for example, the auditing of the budgets is something that's fit for purpose and sustainable over the future? That's a subject on which I can bore not only for Europe but probably the rest of the world. Uh, the auditing of the European Union has been... Um, well, if one was being very serious, one would say it was a disgrace. If one was beginning to be rather relaxed about these things because there's not much we can do, one would say it was a comic turn. I mean, for years, years and years, the Court of Auditors produced, solemnly produced a report and the Commission produced answers which pretty well batted the comments of the... Um, auditors report about. The auditors produced qualified um, reports and they went in a pile behind a door somewhere in the Commission building. To be fair to the Commission, they have made a real effort to do something about the more glaring things that are wrong that the um, Court of Auditors have been pointing out. And you can see some improvement in how they handle various means of pay making payments and things like that where there's always been worries about deep fraud. Um, there's a problem about corruption, um, and there always will be when you're paying out such large sums of money at such a distance from the institution that's responsible. But, um, I mean, you know, I, I would like to see David Cameron putting the Court of Auditors report for 2010 in his box before going to Brussels, because it's got a lot of very serious stuff in it. And rather to my surprise, it says that, broadly speaking, they can accept the um, the accounts of the Commission. But buried in there are a lot of quite worrying things about the quality of um, controls, the quality of way in which payments are made, the quality, in which, uh, the quality of the way in which um, accounts for very large sums of money are put through the European Union system. So I think there are very real worries about that. But these are... The problem here is that 
you can only pick up some of these things by wading through mounds of really very technical stuff. And no politician's going to do that. Uh, and not many officials are going to do that either these days. So knowing that you know, the European Union official who goes down to the olive grove in the south of France and counts five trees as 50 is indulging both in fraud and corruption is not going to help you much when you go back to Brussels because they'll just say, well, that's all right. If you look at the accounts, you can see that they say, well, 2% is within the margin of error which always sounds, when, a comp- when an institution says that, as though they actually do all their, all their um, record-keeping and accounting on the basis that it's going to be 2% wrong. Well, 2% wrong may not be too bad um, if you're running a small company, and you probably wouldn't like it anyway. But when you're running the European Union, 2% is rather an uncomfortable number of billions on the top of the um, total programmes. And I think that, again, is an indication that there is something seriously wrong. Are there any prospects for improving it in any way, realistically or otherwise? Well, again, what is so um, ironic about the European Union situation it's in at the moment is that if this was an ordinary organisation or even a country, you would have mechanisms which would say, we've got to deal with this. Yes, real life has to go on somewhere else, but we can't have this mess continuing. We have got to get to a situation where we have institutional structures which can deal with the tasks that we have to perform. And if we haven't got that, we've got to create them. But at the same time, having been brought up in the 1980s, I would say, and you stop doing an awful lot of things that you're wasting a shocking lot of money on at the moment. And that's, I think, where... If the European Commission was a different kind of organisation, that's where you could undoubtedly save a very large amount of money. But you have to bear in mind that in recent years, various people have tried to raise the question of where money is being misappropriated or where things are not being recorded properly, and they tend to find themselves unemployed or worse very quickly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there there are real difficulties here, and I think... There is a real political crisis. How do you think the institutions have dealt with, for example, the euro crisis? Um, again, very difficult to tell against the, um, against the backdrop of fast-moving activity, uh, the way in which the markets have got involved, which I think the European Commission is not used to dealing with, um, and the very powerful political interests involved. Because, I mean, as I know, having spent 20 years as a civil servant, there's an awful lot goes on beneath the visible area of activity. And it is perfectly possible that people in the Commission have been working very hard trying to find solutions, but being unable to find solutions that are, as it were, um, practical, um, which can then be accepted in this extraordinarily diverse group of ministers who are involved in it. Thank you very much. Kate Jenkins, you're off the hot seat. Thank you. Thank you.